All right, we started this series uh, last week, working through the book of James. And if you weren't here um, with us um, or watched it throughout the week, uh, make sure you catch part one of this series um, because it just sets us up for, for where we go. And we said uh, that there's a difference between believing something and then acting on that belief. That's really the theme of the book of James. It's about living out your faith in, in a practical, day-to-day kind of way. It's answering the question, what are we supposed to do with what we believe? And so that's the, the theme of, of James. That's kind of the theme and where we're going throughout um, this series. So again, if you missed part one, make sure uh, you catch that at some point here real soon. Uh, now today, uh, we're going to look at something James says that's so true, it's so relevant, and yet many people avoid it because we don't necessarily like the implications of it. And that's not anything that's your fault, it's not my fault, it's not completely our fault, uh, because it's just in our nature to avoid things that we don't like. It's like vegetables or exercise or people who eat vegetables and exercise. We just want to avoid um, things that we don't like. We don't, want, we don't do those types of things and eat those kinds of things. And this is going to kind of come as a, surprise, as a surprise to some of you, so please don't judge me too harshly. But there are actually parts of the Bible that I don't like. There are passages, um, there are commands, there are some thou shalts and thou shalt nots that, that I don't particularly like. And I know a pastor isn't supposed to say that, and he's certainly not supposed to say it on the internet for anybody and everybody to hear and to see. Um, but the passage we're looking at today is one of those. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. The implications of it are difficult and hard. And, and even though we might not like it, I still think we should pay attention to it because it, it answers an important question. And, and if you don't like the answer, just remember, this is not my answer. This is somebody else speaking. I'm not smart enough. I'm not deep enough. I'm not seasoned enough um, to come up with this. So the, the question James is going to answer is the question many people have been asking over the last few months. Here it is. What do we do when things aren't going well? What do we do when, when life isn't going well? When, when life is what it is and we don't particularly like it, what do we do? What do you do um, when you're not going to get to graduate publicly? What do you do when you lose your income, when you lose your business, when you've been furloughed? Uh, what do you do? When you lose an opportunity that's never going to come back, maybe you were planning to retire and now you have to put that off a few more years, uh, maybe you're not even sure if you're ever going to be able to retire. What do you do when things aren't going well and you're not sure what to do? Well, I, I think Ben says it pretty well. Some of you have seen this. Uh, ben is an eight-year-old. A couple months ago, he wrote a journal entry about how he thought things were going with the whole homeschool thing and how his mom was handling it. Um, here's what Ben says. Ben writes, it is not going good. <laughs> My mom's getting stressed out. My mom is really getting confused. We took a break so my mom can figure this stuff out, and I'm telling you, it is not going good. 
And all the moms, all the dads that had to do the whole homeschool thing said, amen, Ben. We know exactly, exactly what you mean. So again, what do you do when things aren't going well? Well, along comes James with some advice that, that honestly strikes some of us as passive, uh, maybe even insensitive, because he has no idea what's going on in your life. James has no idea what's going, around, going on in our world right now, and, and he's going to give us advice without hearing our story, without hearing how it's impacting us. It, it, it seems like a really bad idea to give big, kind of overarching statements, but that's exactly, exactly what James does. And regardless of how much you and I might not like what James says, I think we would be foolish not to take it seriously. And here's why. A couple reasons. Number one, because James was the brother of Jesus. And, and more specifically, James believed his brother was God. James believed his brother was his Lord, and James led the church in Jerusalem for about 30 years after the resurrection, during which time things were not going well. They were not going well at all. In fact, his street cred for me uh, was what happened to him during that 30-year period. You can read about some of these things in the book of Acts. Uh, the Jews in Jerusalem who decided to follow Jesus faced famine, um, they faced persecution. Um, they were considered heretics. They were ostracized publicly. They weren't allowed to worship in the temple. They faced crippling poverty. And this was the group of people that James pastored. James was surrounded by and responsible for a community in crisis for 30 years years. This crisis that we're dealing with right now has been going on for about three months. James dealt with this for 30 years. And with that kind of as the background, with all of that stuff running um, in, in the background, here's what he told his first century Jesus-following friends to do. And I think here's what he tells us to do when things aren't going well. This is James chapter 1, verse 1. Here it is, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think with me for a minute about that. That just kind of sounds like an opening and we should just move on. But, but think about that. James, a servant, the Greek there, word, the word there actually means slave. A slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James considered his brother his Lord. And I've asked you this before, what would it take if you have a brother for him to convince you that he was Lord? James came to that conclusion. And what he says next is very familiar, especially if you grew up um, in and around the church. So I've reversed the order a little bit so we can hear it from a little bit of a different perspective, get a better sense of what James is communicating. Verse 2 says this, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not if ever, when ever. When, when you can't pray it away, when you can't obey it away, when you can't faith it away, uh, trials are going to come. 
when, when capital S sin entered the world, it held the door wide open for trials and sorrow and death to walk right in. So when it comes to trials, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that little Greek word face um, is an interesting word. It carries with the idea um, of being taken by surprise. In other Greek literature, it's used in the context of being robbed. So you're surprised. Whenever you're surprised by trials, whenever the doctor calls and she gives you the news you weren't expecting, whenever your, your teenager calls in the middle of the night and says, Mom, Dad, I wrecked the car. Can you come get me? Whenever um, you find out your spouse has been lying to you for years. When you're surprised by trials of many kinds. Here's what we're supposed to do. And remember, this is not me talking. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who led the church in Jerusalem for 30 years. This is what he says we should do. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it. Adjust your perspective. Adjust your thinking. Reframe your trial as pure joy, my brothers and sisters. He, he says, consider it. Rethink this. Take a step back and think of your trial in such a way that you can, become, you can begin seeing it as a source of joy. Now, how can he say this without knowing the circumstances of our lives? I mean, he hasn't heard your story. He hasn't heard my story. He, hasn't, he doesn't know what you're going through. He tells us, verse 3, because you know when you stop and think about it, when, when you pause to consider it, when you're able to see beyond the immediate circumstances, here's what you're going to remember. Because you know that the testing of your faith. Pause. Testing. The testing of your faith. Testing means it's, you're making sure something's authentic and real. Testing is the process used to determine the authenticity of something. And so James says the trials that we face are testing the authenticity of our faith. That's kind of his point. Trials expose the authenticity of our faith. Trials expose the authenticity of our faith. The word, the, the word faith here in this context is talking about our confidence in God. So another way to say it, trials expose the authenticity of our confidence in God. We might not like it, we, we might not want it to be true, but isn't that true? Is, isn't it true? Don't trials expose the authenticity of our confidence in God? And again, this isn't, this isn't a decision we make. This isn't something we decide to do. This is just reality. When we're faced with a trial, when we're surprised by a trial, we immediately discover something about our faith. In that moment, we discover what we really believe, what we were pretending to believe, what we believed as a kid but we never really embraced as an adult. In that moment, the authenticity of our faith is tested. It, it just is. Another way to think about it, when circumstances begin to deteriorate, artificial counterfeit, and what's in it for me, faith, deteriorates right along with it. You've seen this happen in other people's lives. Maybe this is a part 
of your story. And James is telling us whether we like it or not, agree with it or not, want it to be true or not, there is joy in discovering how authentic our faith really is, even though I wouldn't sign up for it, even though I'd never choose it. In the midst of a trial, I discover something about my faith that I couldn't discover any other way. Is my faith living and active, or is it barren and dead? And James says there can be joy in making that discovery. So here it is again. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, because you know that the testing of your faith, it does two things. It demonstrates something and produces something. It demonstrates whether or not your faith is real, but there's another benefit. Over time, trials produce perseverance. Perseverance, the ability to hold up under pressure, the ability to last. That that James is saying trials develop perseverance in us because trials automatically exercise our faith. Now, you, you know this, but the only way to make a muscle stronger is to what? It's to exercise it right? You exhaust it and let it rest. You exhaust it and you let it rest. And you exhaust it and you let it rest. And you do that over and over and over again. The more that happens, the more the muscle develops. And the more the muscle develops, the more perseverance it has the next time. And then James says, I think one of the more interesting things here, he says, don't leave the gym early. That's not what he really says, but that's, look look what he says next. Let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. Don't bail out in the middle of the process. Don't look for the nearest exit sign. Let the process play out. Let perseverance finish its work. And then he gives us a really big, kind of uncomfortable idea. So let me explain it, and then we'll read it. He's saying what God is doing right now through this trial in your life is at the center of what God is doing in your life. What, and, and you don't want to cut short God's act, you don't want to cut short God's activity in your life. So to say it another way, the thing we want to remove is the thing God will use. And and I get it. I want I I want to pray this away. I want God to remove it from my life. I completely understand. I've been there. I've experienced it. I've prayed those prayers. I want God to remove this thing. But that's actually the thing that God wants to use in your life. That tension, that burden, that that relational conflict in your home, that trial is the epicenter of God's activity in your life. And I can prove it. I can prove it. What are you praying about right now? What's that thing that you're praying the most about right now. Isn't it true? And I could be wrong, but isn't it true the thing you're wrestling with, the thing that you wish would change, the struggle in your life that has your undivided attention, that you're spending more time praying about that than anything else? And it's exercising your faith. It's exhausting it, and letting it rest, 
and exhausting it and letting it rest. And it's building your faith. It's developing your faith. And James says, look, don't, don't shortchange the process. Don't bail out. Don't quit. Because there's an outcome in all of this. There's something coming, and here it is. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's using a play on words here. Um, He's saying, let perseverance complete its work so you will be complete. Let perseverance complete its work so you will be complete. So you will have grown up, mature faith. Come on, let's face it. (laughs) The only way to have grown-up, mature faith is to face some grown-up, mature trials. This is, this, this is why little kids and teenagers don't have as this, this grown-up, mature faith because most of them don't face grown-up, mature trials. And so he says, let God use it until he chooses to remove it. And that kind of sounds heartless, it kind of sounds like God is this, you know, this, this mad scientist in the heavens just kind of playing with us. And James understands that. James is not heartless. James knows his brother, Jesus, was not heartless. He knows how difficult this was for his audience. James was not saying this from some ivory tower way out in the middle of nowhere. He was in the middle of this. And so James reaches back to some of the things that, that he heard his brother teach. He reaches all the way back to, to Proverbs and some of the things that King Solomon said thousands of years earlier. And, and he says, I understand it's not as easy as I'm making it sound. I, I, this, this is not a heartless God saying, just, just get used to it. So if you can't imagine how to find joy in your trial, if you can't see the value of your faith being authenticated and exercised, James says, here's what I want you to do. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, now wisdom is seeing the world the way God sees it, so if, if any of you lacks the perspective to see this trial the way God sees it, you should ask God, who, by the way, gives generously to all without finding fault. Do that and it will be given to you. Primarily, wisdom. That if you can't see how anything good can come from this, if you're struggling to see how in the world you, get, you produce joy in this or how your faith is being exercised, James says, ask God, and he'll give you the wisdom to see the situation the way he sees it. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. It's not a problem, but here's, here's the objection. James, <laughs> when I'm going through a trial, I don't want wisdom. I want relief. Right? I want the trial to end. Isn't that true for you? It's true for me. I'll raise my hand. That's what I want. But just let, let, let me ask you something. This is what James is trying to get us to see. If you could see your life the way that God sees it? If you could, you could understand the, the, the things that God understands, if you knew the things that God knew, would you remove everything 
that would benefit you in the long run? Let me ask it another way. Would you remove short-term pain for long-term gain? We know this in other areas of our life. When it comes to diet, exercise, saving, relationships, would you remove short-term pain for long-term gain? And James would say, no. You, you wouldn't do that. So if, if it's hard for you to see past the trial, if it's hard for you to see the joy and it's hard for you to see how, how your faith is being tested and authenticated, you should ask for wisdom, for the ability to see how God sees. Because when you see as God sees, you'll be more inclined to do as God says. And that's the perspective, that's the wisdom that we need to persevere through a trial. So let me read the whole thing. Let me read the whole thing, and then I want to make this personal. From the very beginning, here's how it actually appears in your Bible. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why, James? Because you know that the testing of your faith demonstrates the authenticity of your faith and produces perseverance. And don't bail out early. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But if you get to the point where you want to bail out and need a different perspective, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Have you ever met anybody who lives this out? Who, who, who you know somebody who is facing a trial right now? Or maybe they, used, they, they, they did face a trial earlier on and you knew them well enough to know. You, you, asking yourself, I wonder how I would respond. If I was going through the same thing they were going through. Have you ever asked that question? Do you know anybody like that? And, and I could start listing off names of people who are watching this right now who are like this in my life. I was just talking to, to one of them last week. It's a guy in our church. Just found out that um, he has cancer, surprised by a trial, Right? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, it started out as cancer as one part of his body, and they found out there was cancer in another part of his body, and, and the, the surprise trial turned into a double play. And he's found all of this out, and, and, and I, I, I saw him last week, and one of the first things he said to me, he said, Tim, my faith is growing like never before. Like, I want to I wanna hear about how he's doing with the chemo. I want to hear about how his family is doing with this. And, and this is one of the first things he says. And when I heard that, I thought, there it is. There it is again. He would never choose it. Nobody ever would in their right mind. But he's decided that he's not going to waste it. He's going to let God use it until God chooses to remove it. And I know you've met people like that. I know that you know stories like that, that through, throughout the years, and I gotta tell you, and I think you would agree, 
that they are the, some of the most inspiring, hope-giving, faith-building people that I've ever met. Because I'm more inspired by people whose faith is tested than by people who have easy faith. I'm more inspired by people who get a no from God and yet their faith endures than from the people who always seem to get a yes from God. Isn't that true for you? Those are the people that inspire me. And I think the reason we're so inspired by people like that is because it shows that there's a level of faith, there's a category of faith that can endure some of the worst that this broken world can throw at us and actually see our faith continue to grow and even be strengthened, can endure, can produce joy in us. But here's, but here's another, the other side to this. Here's, here's what I want you to hear. Their faith does not reverse the consequences of life in a broken world. Just because they have what we consider to be huge faith, faith is not a superpower. Faith is not how we get God to do something. Faith is a response to the faithfulness of God. And so their faith inspires perseverance and courage in the midst of a broken world. Which is why, which is why they make such an impression on our lives and why people like that, churches like that, families like that, marriages like that, it's, it's, it's the people who face a trial that we never want to go through and maintain their faith that changes our lives and eventually changes the world. And I, I think that was James' goal for his first century audience. I think it's his goal for you and me. Because in the first century, things did not get better. <laughs> in fact, for James, they got worse. James was eventually martyred. But his unwavering confidence in his brother, the unwavering confidence in Jesus of the first century church, that literally changed the world. It literally changed the world. So, so don't miss it. Please hear this. This is what I want you to walk away and never, ever, ever forget. God will use what he chooses not to remove. God will use what he chooses not to remove. And James's words, his instructions are an invitation for us to lean into this to lean into this and say, God, use this trial in my life. Use the trial that I have no idea is coming down the road. Use the trials in my life until you choose to remove them. Use it to remind me that you're faithful. Use it to remind me that my confidence in you is real. And even if you choose to say no, I will continue to choose to say yes. To you. God will use what he chooses not to remove. Now here's, here's how James finishes this little section of teaching in his letter. Verse 12. Blessed is the one 
who perseveres under trial, not prays it away or tries to obey it away or faiths it away, but who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, having discovered that their faith is alive, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know what the crown of life is? Me neither. <laughs> I, I have no idea. But it sure sounds worth it. It sure sounds a whole lot better than any comfort that this world has to offer. So the current events that you're facing right now that I have no idea about, some of you I do, the current events that our world is facing right now that, that are impacting all of us differently present all of us with the same opportunity. They present us with the opportunity to let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That, that is how faith works. That is how faith works in the midst of some of the most difficult things that you'll ever face. And so I, I'm just going to invite you to incorporate the following prayer in your prayer life. You, you may pray every single day and just add this onto it. Um, you may have started praying for the first time in a long time these past few months, and I'm just going to give you some more words to pray. Perhaps you've never prayed because you're not sure how to do it and you're sure you're doing it wrong. This is a great time to start, and this prayer is a great place to start with. So here it is. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. See, this is the perspective. This is the prayer. This is the cry. This is the goal for anyone who wants their faith, their faith to work in a practical day to day, even in the midst of the hardest things you'll ever face. This is, this is the kind of prayer that people with a living, active faith pray. And, and I get it. You may have to fake it until you make it. But at the very least, ask God for wisdom in the midst of a trial Ask God to help you see the way that he sees it because that's a prayer he'll answer every single time. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Love to pray for us as we go. Father in heaven, this is a whole lot easier for me to sit here in this space and say than it is for me to get up and leave and go do. And God, there are names of people, there are faces that I know, that I can see right now that are facing all kinds of trials that I wouldn't wish upon them. They didn't ask for, they didn't want, but they were surprised by it. And God, my prayer is very simple, 
that, that regardless of where they find themselves on the spectrum of following you, but, but that if they are following you, that they would find a way to, to see this as something that can produce joy because it's testing the authenticity of their faith. It's showing them something about their faith in you that maybe they've never seen before, they've never experienced before, they never knew before. And God, would you develop the perseverance in them? Would you use it in their life? Would you allow them or would you show them how to submit this to you in such a way that they're open to you using it until you choose to remove it? And God, for those who or maybe they've been in a trial that surprised them weeks ago, months ago, years ago, and they just want to bail. They, they don't want to let perseverance finish its work. God, would you give them the courage to pray the prayer of, of asking you to give them wisdom and then waiting for you to give them the kind of wisdom to see this situation the way that you see it so they can respond in such a way that honors you and that builds their faith. God, would you help us to be the kind of people, help us to be the kind of church that considers it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. And in the end, it is not about us. It is not about um, praying it away or obeying it away or, or any of that. It is, it is ultimately about us leaning into you and maintaining faithfulness in you because you are so faithful to us. And it's in Jesus' name I ask all these things.